This is Dave Doherty. Dave's been a friend for a long time. I, uh, I remember the very first time that I saw you was years ago. We were doing uh, a festival on a Thursday night down at the Youth Pass Cultural Center. Galen Beaver, we were the band, and it was a Liberty thing on uh-huh. the 4th of July, and you spoke. And I was just struck by the passion and the articulation of your patriotism and your understanding of where we were as a country was really super excellent. Yeah, it was great. Like it was great. great. And uh, I consider it a tremendous honor for you to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, this is Dan Hewitt. Uh, I met Dan uh, at the Dan Muller conference, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I believe I'd seen you some time before somewhere, but that was where we mm-hmm. talked and conversed. Yeah. And uh, I, I have this. I, I forgot to stick it up here. Dan has written a, a really cool book called Extreme Turbo Mega Grace. I was and I'm trying sure to be he emphatic, will. yes. Yeah, he wanted yeah. The, to get the point across in the title. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> you can you can probably, you got some copies to sell, right? Not necessarily tonight, but yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a really good book about grace. And, and Dan's got some some lifelong expertise in the area of mm-hmm. grace, understanding it and working it into Christian life, Christian discipleship, and what it is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. So if, if you got questions about grace, uh, maybe... Maybe ask him tonight. All right. And this person is my <laughs> wife, Vicki. And I know that Vicki has gone through many years of development and trial. And I was primarily the one that put her through them. So <laughs> she, she also has a, a firsthand knowledge of grace, for sure. And then uh, and, and she's just got some great insights. If any of you have been on her study on Tuesday... Or just in general, it's. Uh, uh, I'm excited that she's up here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start by these guys making a brief presentation of something over the last few weeks. If you remember, we did the series on the gospel, what it was, and then we did the series uh, on who Jesus was and what he is doing and what he has done. And so those are wide open for questions. And like I say, grace is a topic that's there. One of the things about Dave, Dave has as... As functional, a childlike relationship with daddy as anybody I know. And, and what I mean by functional is, you know, when you got to, if, if, if any of you were fortunate enough to have a good father, there's several facets of relationship that help your development as a, as a son or daughter uh, because of your interaction with your father, his, his interaction with you. And... That's what I mean by functional. I mean, when I think of you, I think of somebody who can hit the high points and the low points, and 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 you're always there to be fathered. Daddy's always there yep. to father you. That's pretty cool. So that would be another area of, of expertise for sure. So who's going to go first? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, it, there would be many things that I I could talk on, but uh, one of one was from last week, and it was the idea that when Jesus comes back, that he's not going to come back this time in reference to sin. And uh, that just really struck me, and I've been thinking about it all week, the idea of putting away sin, that Christ put away sin, and that when he comes back the next time, it's not going to be in reference to sin. And that just like 
opened up this world to me about what that's going to look like, what that's going to feel like, what that is going to do to um, those that we've traditionally have said they're they're not in, they're out. Um, and so um, it just kind of made me think about the idea of, again, eagerly awaiting his coming. Um, I think a lot of times in the church, it's we're, we, we're not really eagerly awaiting his coming. We want him to come to get us out of here. You know, I, I want him to come and, and manifest his beauty over his, his creation, his cosmos. And so that was something that really struck me. And it has made, it has made Jesus, you know, bigger and higher and wider and deeper for me. So that would be something that I took away from last week, especially. All right. Well, I, I can transition right to you with what I got to say. Um, actually, probably going back even a couple of months, is, well, maybe not that far, is, as you said, I, uh, grace is always a big thing for me. And the reason is, if we don't understand our position in Christ, we're never going to get to the daddy part because we're always looking behind us for the hammer to come down. We're waiting for God to punish us. We're struggling to get to God. And so uh, my pursuits for decades has been really understanding that truth of we are forgiven. We are in the presence of God. We have all that. Now what's happened in the, and this is where we head into the unity, which is really kind of the biggest thing I'd emphasize that I got out of this recently, is union with God is... We, once we recognize that, then we can enter into the reality of that unity. And so the lack of the understanding can always be a barrier. Um, but here's the thing. It's like we got two legs. One leg, when we take a step, has to be, I understand the theology, the truth. The other step has right. to be, I step into the experience of that reality. And I can't have one or the other only. I have to, and the way God gets us to walk and grow is, here's some truth, here's some reality. Here's some more truth I'm going to reveal to you. Here's some more reality. And we have to have both of those. <laughs> and I know for me, probably the last few years, I feel like God's really pushing me to say, you know all this stuff, <laughs> but let's work on the on wow. the me part, you know, the who, yeah, the experience. We need to really step that game up, so to speak, yeah. of functionally walking in that reality of who God is. And I think that's where I'm being challenged. And I think a lot of what we've been going through really is pushing me into that even more. So, praise God. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that more for sure. Yeah. Okay. And so, speaking of daddy, and I, I like what you just said about the reality, the, Scripture, truth, reality, truth. Sometimes I, I rather just get the truth, <laughs> but it is essential. Daddy is. I. My father was killed when I was four years old. He was. He was murdered, and my mother remarried. And he was a good man. He was a. He was an incredible man, but he never called me by my first name. Wow. For all the years I knew him. So I didn't really know what a relationship with a dad was like, except what I saw on TV, you know, my three sons, Bonanza, uh, finally 
the Bill Cosby show, stuff like that. And I couldn't identify with any of that. So when I started to come into a relationship with God, I'd been raised in one religion. We want who's who will go unnamed. And I got into another religion where they actually made you read the Bible. But it was it was a transactional kind of what you got from it was transactional. And but I learned a lot. And even while I was in that church for nine years, I saw things that didn't make sense. They were they were teaching things that just didn't make sense. And and so finally, when daddy brought me here. That's when, well, and there's, there's a, there, there was a stint that I did a little time in the clinker, not a little time, but a lot of time in the clinker, where I had to call on daddy's name a lot, a lot. And so getting, coming out of that situation into this situation and then getting the, the teaching that we're getting here about union about the presence of daddy in everybody without exception that that's incredible and that idea of being backed up in scripture it's it's right there but it's not something i've ever been taught and that along with a lot of other other experiences with daddy has shown me that the union is real he is in us. We are in him. He's always attentive. I had an experience. Let me just share an experience and I'll close it with here. We had just been transferred to this new place and I was, I was doing a fast and I was on the sixth day of my fast and, um, the TV on the, in the, in the common area had a Velveeta cheese commercial. Grilled cheese sandwiches after six days of not eating. <laughs> they were looking good. I mean, they cut it in half. They yes. split it. The cheese was going like yeah. that. And I was like, man, that sure looks good. And so the officer came to the to the cell house and he said, Doherty, I need you to report to the kitchen. So I went to the kitchen and they gave me a job as the storeroom clerk. And the, the cook walks over to him and he says, hey, man, I'm making some grilled cheese. You want two? And I said, thank you, Daddy. How sweet <laughs> is that? Yeah. How sweet is that? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. The union part. And it's, it, I, it's, it's, it's shown me that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think or what you feel or what doesn't matter, Daddy he loves you. He loves you. You cannot comprehend how much he loves you. One more thing. One more thing. There's a passage in Romans that used to scare the snot out of me. We shall all give an account. We shall all give an account to him. That has always terrified me. But I had an experience where daddy brought me before him. and. I'm crying like a baby. I don't belong here. Let me tell you why I don't belong here. And I'm remembering every sin I've ever committed. And I'm just throwing them at him, trying to convince him, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, I don't belong here. He interrupted me three times. 
Somebody tell me what he said. Guess what he said? I love you. Three times. And after the first time he said it, I just kept babbling. Then he interrupted me again. I slowed down a little bit. And then he interrupted me one last time, and that's when I started calling him Daddy. I love you too, Daddy. Praise God. Praise God. Is there a box of Kleenex somewhere? I I can get one. Because uh, you never know. (laughs) You guys will have to share. Okay. Hi, Jeannie. So uh, just to merge a couple of thoughts there, and then we'll take our first question. Whoever's got got a question ready. Uh, Dan and I had a little bit of a conversation about a revelation that, that I got out of uh, studying grace. And grace is a, it's a truth and it's a concept and it can be pretty complicated sometimes. But I ran mm-hmm. across this one lexical entry that said it was the benevolence in the heart of a superior mm-hmm. to a subordinate. And then all of a sudden, it changed grace from being a doctrine to being a relational expression of God himself. Is, is that anything at all like what you're, what you're talking about, about the reality? Mm-hmm. There's the truth and then there's the reality. Yeah, I mean, to take off of what Dave was saying, there's... I always cont- uh, I'll compare legalism with grace. When he talks about, I'm confessing all my sins and I'm saying all this stuff, our legalistic nature wants to talk about how bad we are, all our failings, all the things wrong with us. And there is a time and a place that we have to be honest and real with God. I'm not saying never do that. But too often what we're doing is, if you think about it, most of the time we're doing that, we're really just talking about us. (laughs) Right? And God's really not interested in us talking about our failings. <laughs> he would rather talk about what's good about him. And I think that's kind of the key shift. Going around saying how bad you are, how sinful you are, how wrong you are, how holy God is compared to you, and all this kind of stuff, it's really focusing on yourself. That's not glorifying God, which is what religious people think they're doing is I'm really glorifying God because I'm so unworthy, I'm so lowly, I'm such a miserable wretch, and all that kind of stuff. And God's saying, step into this relationship with Daddy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. you know, to tie it back to your point too, Vicki, uh, one of the things that I've encountered when I've talked to people about that passage in Hebrews 9, that, that he's uh, appearing a second time without reference to sin, it's almost that they don't usually say it, but you can tell that it challenges them on the point. Well, what's he coming back for then? <laughs> because we're, we, we, we have such a small hygiene. We have such a small view of what the big picture is. Right. Because a lot of it is, is seen through the lens of sin and, and sin being fixed. So anyway, excellent. Thank you, guys. Gosh. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say, Dave... <laughs> I've got to Sorry. say that, that go the example me. of at a young age having having your dad and, of course, then the image of your dad taken away and then getting a stepdad who's a good guy, but, but the intimacy obviously wasn't there by what you said. You are like super living proof 
that our past does not have to limit the intimacy of our present. Praise God. And when I started confessing to Daddy about why I didn't belong there, it wasn't that he he said, okay, what are you here for? It was, I, I shouldn't be here. This is why. And it, and I was reminded of what Peter did with mm-hmm. Yeshua on the boat when he brought the fish up from the right side. Peter said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Mm-hmm. And Adam hid. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just a matter of you. I understood this is daddy mm-hmm. and this is me. And yeah. And and it is like you said. It daddy was saying, I love you. So that took all of the it took it all back to him now yeah. and not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Yes. So my question integrating theological understanding, but I mostly want you to emphasize practical approach. How do you share the gospel? Okay. So I'm I'm just gonna throw this out here. I believe the gospel has to be shared uh in a lot of uh dynamics when the Lord leads us to share it. And so sometimes that's shared um, by encounters that you have in supermarkets or restaurants or things like that where God breaks in and says, hey, I think you and Richard did this one time with a server where God said, hey, give her a really good tip. (laughs) And um, I believe that that's the gospel. And um, maybe you said something about Jesus and maybe you didn't. But I think you guys prayed with her. There was an opening there to, to speak into her life. So I think that's the gospel. And I think, I think we have to listen to the Lord on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we just approach a stranger and we blurt whatever we blurt out, um, a lot of times it's, it's not heard. It's not received because we're not under, um, what I feel like would be like a relational, understanding that I'm doing what my father is doing in the moment. And so for me, when I share with people um, what I consider the gospel, which is love, joy, peace, um, Jesus coming and and walking into what he's offering, um, I do it from a relational standpoint when I'm led by God, when I'm led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's how I express the gospel. And it might be, you know, I mean, I've been in Walmart and I've prayed for people. And I've been in restaurants and I've tipped well. And I've actually talked to people about, you know, where they're at and where where their heart is and their dynamic is. And, And so that to me, for me, that's how I share the gospel. For me, it's, um, and it's a lot like that. And... Everybody I meet, I think, I believe is a contact point. I'm, I'm daddy's contact point. Now they, I believe that daddy's in them. Maybe I'm just a person that pricks that awareness. And so it, I don't have to 
come at them with a scripture or I can just have a conversation with them, listen to what they're saying. If daddy leads me to pray for them, pray for them right then and there, not not say, well, okay, I'll pray about that. No, we're going to pray about it right now. So just coming in contact with a person, I think daddy's spirit is going to, just because I came in contact with them, I think daddy's spirit's going to touch them. And what I say to them afterwards or during that conversation. I think, yeah, listening to the Holy Spirit is probably ding, 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 the answer. But I think also part of that is uh, what's my motivation? Do I look in this room and go, that guy there needs to be a convert, you know, and I need to close a sale. Or is it, God, what do you want me to do to love this guy? Right now, what is what is the expression of love in Jesus Christ look like to that per, whatever state they're in, whether they're mm-hmm. unsaved, saved, lost, hurting, physically damaged, you know, wounded, ill, right. whatever. What is my response, which is love, to that person at that time? And I think sometimes we get concerned about closing the sale. Or it depends on a personality, right? Some people, that's a big deal, and. I got to go around closing the sale all the time. And God has gifted certain people that way. And that's, that's, that's a gift. it's a gift, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that doesn't mean all of us have to do things the same way. Um, my experience too, one time was just, it, it's calling out. If, it, if we're actually talking about salvation and giving a message. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's call out. To me, what was really effective is call out in them what you see. Rather than saying, here's what's wrong and here's what you're missing, saying, this is what I've seen you. I saw this in Denver. There was a, there was a couple of young guys who were down in the Capitol Hill area. And we started talking to him, and one guy was given the very evangelistic message. And um, it was a young black guy who had this shirt on that had all these uh, sun and moon and, uh, what do you call it, zodiac signs. And I was like, so what's the deal with your sign? He's like, well, I joined the Freemasons, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a Mason. I said, you know, they hate black people. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, I said, they'll keep you at the bottom level, but <laughs> you ain't moving up. And he's like, well, that explains a lot. But then I went into, but this is who God says you are. And I said, God has called you to be a leader among men. And he, and he just started... You could see his back straighten up when you start saying, here's the destiny that God has for you. And so, I mean, it's just be sensitive to what the Spirit's saying. I think there's... I think that... I think I'm intentional about walking in the Spirit with Mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. I think now it's, though... I, I used to know exactly how to lead someone to the Lord to believe... Mm -hmm. And Larry's messed me up. <laughs> and now I don't know how to talk about it. I don't I don't know what to say. Uh, I think, yeah, okay, so I hear what you're saying I from really, that perspective. I really, yeah. I'm, it's, I'm no. as sincere as I can be. Yeah, I think I, what you're saying is you want your, how do I now just say, let's invite you into depth with the Lord? You know, how do I tell somebody, you got a daddy that just wants to hang out with you and give them a different message, which is not, necessarily turn or burn but rather you got a daddy whose arms are open do you want to walk there and i think too um i was at a a, a 
School Board Meeting 49 District. Sorry, I was at a 49 District, and we were set to speak. We had to put our names on a list to speak. And I'm sitting in the chair, and my best friend Derek's sitting behind me, and I'm thinking, I really don't want to speak. I really don't want to speak. And I'm telling myself that, and I'm making arrangements for, well, if they, if they doesn't seem like they're going to call you, then you can take my place. Well, it didn't happen. I had to get up and speak, and we were, we were speaking against CRT. But Daddy flipped the script because there were people that were against CRT, and there were people that were for CRT, and Daddy wanted to talk about the fact that that doesn't make you enemies. You are one race. We need to talk. We need to come together and talk and not see each other. And um, you can, I really look not all that. <laughs> I was very nervous when doing that. But, but Daddy brought that out about the peace among us and that we don't have to be enemies. So I, I don't think you have to come in with a script because I was, I did not want to get up and speak. And, and sometimes daddy will just have you say things. He'll bring things to mind. I remember, um, Jeremiah 18, I believe it was, uh, he made it again another, the potter's house. And I had memorized that first scripture. He made it again another because TD Jakes had done a scripture on it. And I loved that scripture of the, per the fourth verse. He made it again another. And so, I walked up to this, walked up behind this guy in the chow hall, and I whispered in his ear the first verse. I'd barely ever paid attention to the first verse, but I quoted it verbatim in his ear, and I just walked away. And the next day he came up and he told me, and he, and he hugged me, and he said, I'm so glad you told me that. Because before he had gone to chow, he'd been, he, he was about to lose his wife and his child. Mm -hmm. And so he was praying, and he needed Daddy to talk to him. And that was his prayer. Daddy, I need you to talk to me. So he came to chow. He sat down. He prayed over everybody's meal. And then somebody comes up behind him and says, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear the word of the Lord. And then he turned around, and he saw me walking back to the kitchen. He got up from the table, went to his cell house, climbed upon his bunk, and Daddy spoke to him. So I think it's us not worrying about what daddy's, us, what we're going to say, because daddy might not say anything. It might be just your presence. I remember, and maybe you can help me with this, Larry, when the, when the apostles were walking by and their shadows were doing stuff. I mean, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, let's got, say, let's say he teed it up for me. <laughs> I, I, they're ready. What am I going to say? Whatever he gives you to say. He may tell you to say, I had to tell one friend, this, another guy that was, there's a lot of losing wives and children in prison. He had me tell one guy to get back to work. Yeah, this dude is broken. He's crying. And daddy wants me to crawl over to him and say, get back to work in those words. And I argued with daddy for about 45 seconds. I wasn't going to do that. I did it. After that, the dude was okay. So it's not based on what I think I should say. We've just got to leave room for what daddy's going to say. And we can't be troubled that we made a mistake. <clears throat> I'm all for walking in the spirit. I totally am. I, yeah. I'm just saying totally. I've lost my way 
of being real clear with presenting a salvation message yeah. to give someone an opportunity to believe. That's that's what I still feel like mm-hmm. I'm I'm not clear on. So yeah, you know one of the other things. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. She might say, and I know I'm not the panel, but she might say, I used to know what to say. <laughs> there you well, go. I now, did. I, wait, used no, to, I used to know clearly I used to know what to say, but things have changed, and here's why it's changed. And then you can just go from there. What are you, what, when, when we want to share the gospel, do we want them to, do we want them to <clears throat> confess sin or do we want them to fall in love? And, Absolute, and I'm, and I'm not saying it's one or the other, uh-huh. but I think the dynamic first is let's fall in love because I think the spirit can mm-hmm. speak to the sin. And so I, I feel like sometimes when people want to share the gospel, especially towards salvation, and I've seen this at the altar, and it has constantly bothered me. Somebody's up there, and they go, I I, I think I want to accept Jesus. I, I understand that he loves me. Okay, yeah, he loves you, but you've got to confess all your sins. Instead of letting them have a moment with their bridegroom, you know? And so to me, however we're going to share the gospel, the reason for me that it's relational is because God knows what that person needs in that moment of time to rise up and jump into Jesus. And then all the other stuff comes later. So there, if, if I'm in relationship with them and they, they jump into Jesus and then they say, you know what? I have this thing in my life that feels wrong. And then, then let's talk about sin. Let's talk about mm-hmm. deliverance. Let's talk about healing, you know, sozo. Those kinds of things. And I, and I, and so for me, I'm not, I, I am so far removed from like the four spiritual laws or, <laughs> you know, any of, of those kind of things because I, I trust what Jesus did on the cross. Mm-hmm. I trust what Jesus did when he resurrected. I trust what he did during those 40 days and 40 nights that he was there. And I trust what he's doing up in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and if I trust that, then I, I, I have to trust that when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, that I'm sharing it the way that he wants me to. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm the spark and sometimes I'm the fire. And that's, you know, that for me is what it is. So <coughs> now I could tell you how I was wrecked about healing, but we won't go into that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I'm listening to, to what you said, and I, I believe I understand it. Um, and I, I can promise you we're, we'll look into that. And, and talk about it a little bit more because it's all, I, I get what you're saying. It's all well and good to know, but, but how do we bring that other person into that knowledge? How do we lift them up into that knowledge? Now, one little, little gospel presentation that's very fascinating to me, uh, is the one that Baxter Kruger uses. Uh, Baxter Kruger is, is like you, Dave. He is convinced that there is something of, of God in a person deposited there in Jesus. And so he, he, uh, makes a lot of hay by saying, just, just whisper this prayer. Jesus, are you in me? And if, and he's run into situations where people will say no. And he said, well, then just say, what is it that's keeping me from, from hearing your voice? Um, the thing I'm going to be thinking about in light of your question that we might be able to talk about in a teaching way, in a sharing way is, 
what is it we're trying to get people into or to engage with? And it, it has to be something of a relationship. It has to be the recognition of, of Father's love for them. It has to be a relationship with Jesus. More going on between the two of them that they're, that they're recognizing. But I think it's a fantastic question. <coughs> Uh, just had a couple uh, comments, actually, about salvation message. Uh, like many others, it used to be in the past, because I've been around for a while, uh, that I used to share and talk to them and then have them pray the sinner's prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, then you messed me up too, Larry. And, and also, Dan. This Mulder, is real edifying for the know, pastor's road, uh, track record wow. here. Yeah, Larry tells us all to not tell people about Jesus, I think. That was <laughs> yeah, what he did. Yeah. <laughs> That's my weekly message, it sounds like. <laughs> but, it, but it has to be the love message. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to go at that angle at all. You know, I never responded very well to that myself. You know, mm -hmm. uh, fire and brimstone and the, the sinner's message uh, and say this prayer. But a couple of things that have worked, uh, I did one cold turkey as a friend of mine in town on five-star evangelism, and part of the exercise, and I think Larry was in on that one, we had to go into a place and find somebody and share Jesus with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of shook me. I mean, that's not my comfort zone at all. I feel like I'm then kind of forcing on it. So I met a young man. I went into Hobby Lobby, and this guy was looking through the art supplies. And, and I said, do you know about Jesus? You know, And he had a shocked look on his face. And he more or less shut me up. I said, yeah, I know about Jesus. You know, <laughs> And I said, well, I just wanted to share the love of Jesus with you. And, and I left it at that. It looked like he went to church occasionally. <laughs> but again, it was a cold turkey approach. Mm -hmm. What I found more effective is God puts people into your lives. Mm -hmm. And there's an opportunity. And you know that's an opportunity. And you share the love of Jesus and your own personal testimony and how it changed your life. Uh, for the better. And one other thing I saw, and I saw this work very effectively a couple times, we were in a restaurant, and this gentleman was a part of that five-star evangelism group, but he said, watch, this works a lot. So this young waitress came up to the table, and he said to her, what's the best thing that ever happened to you in your life? And I think she said something like when her brother was born or, you know, when her parents, you know, did something or other, you know, at Christmas or that. And he said, well, do you mind if I share what would my, the best thing in my life? And he started off by said, you know, I loved it when my kids were born. I loved it when I married my wife. These were all terrific events. But the best thing that ever had to me was John 3.16. When I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, my whole life changed. His love is overwhelming. And that young lady responded. She wanted prayer. In fact, the manager came over. Is there a problem here? We said, no, there's no problem. But everybody shared about the love of Jesus with that young lady. And she prayed with us. And That's received. Sweet. So I found that very effective. And yeah. it doesn't throw too many people off. Yeah. They'll either say yes or no or walk away. Yeah. But that's the worst that could happen. Mm -hmm. The best they accept. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of our underlying concerns is what if I don't have them say the right thing? You know, and it's kind of like I have to get them to do the magic word. And, uh, you know, it's overstated. But if they don't say the magic words or the right order or whatever, it doesn't count. And I mean, I love the way Dan Muller calls it, 
he he talked about how he healed some lady who was way way off spiritually in another planet had a dramatic healing in her life and he recognized that's all she can handle today mm-hmm. and his statement was the holy spirit's a big boy He can find her further down the path and take her the next step in the path. And so that's part of the Holy Spirit is sometimes we're just going to give a person a little nudge in the direction. Other times we're going to wrestle them to the ground and and body slam them, you know, depending on. I I remember in college there was a girl I knew that I thought was a Christian and she was drunk in the in the in. No, she was drunk. She was drunk, (laughs) drunk. And she goes, you know, I'm not really a Christian. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, no, I never really got saved. I said, okay, time for you to get saved right now. <laughs> you know, we just started walking through it. And she's kind of like, well, no, not really. I was like, nope, it's now. And it's like, she sobered up like that. It was boom. You know, God was on her and stuff. But it's one of those, you know, do you do that normally? No. <laughs> but that was one of those cases where today's the day where we're going to shove. Other days, it's a nudge, you know, and that's that. Yeah. So, so here's the question I wrote down as a result of your question, Jen. What is it that we're seeking to do or share or have happen when we find ourselves in a position to, and I put it in quotes, share Jesus? Because sometimes even the things we're talking about, right. we're sharing about Jesus and mm-hmm. hoping that that provokes them. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I like to think of what Dan says too. Uh, he, he's got so many stories, but where he actually did something, healed somebody or created some situation of contact, deliverance or something like that. And then people says, well, but did you lead them to Jesus? No, I gave them Jesus. Jesus. I gave them Jesus. Yeah. So I'm going to dig into that because I, if, I don't, I don't back away from talking about the realities of the gospel the way I do, but I do understand mm-hmm. that it's, it, it deserves a look. What are we, what are we trying? What's the goal? Is the goal for them to encounter Jesus? somehow and that deserves more talk for sure and i the question i was hearing when he said it is something that because just because i've been stressed out about we know what it's not now like right now we know it's not confess your sins and tell me everything you've done and there you are a dirty rotten sinner and so what do we do now and and the in in colossians with what larry's been sharing colossians one has i haven't meditated on it enough but I think there's a, I think the, I think the gospel's there. Like I think, cause I, cause what I was hearing, I mean, what I was hearing you ask was, yeah, I know when to do it. I know how to listen to God, mm-hmm. but what is the actual message now? If the message isn't confess, repent and turn. And, um, and so what is that message? And so I think there's something hidden in it and I don't have the answer, but I think there's something hidden in it because in Colossians one, even looking at, at verse 21, although you're previously alienated and hostile in attitude, so basically telling someone, even though you were alienated, you were hostile, you were engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death. That there's still that message of you were you were in a rotten place, you've done terrible things, and now you're reconciled. But then even going down further, because it says specifically, he's saying, I um the goal here is to, to fully carry out the preaching of the word. And so he's, he's specifically is calling it the preaching of the, of the word of God. That is the mystery that has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now it's been revealed to his saints. So the mystery is this, um, that, and, and the mystery is, is that Christ is in you, the hope of, gl- the hope and the glory. So, I mean, we had talked about that that one night. So I kept thinking if there's somehow, I think there's a gospel in that, that the, the good news is in that, that, that you were, 
totally separate. And yet in your separation, he reconciled you already. And you've been, you are, are you, he's already made a way for you to be reconciled. But that the mystery is this, that the mystery is he is in you. you. And that is your hope. And that is the glory. And I don't know exactly how to present those words as far as script wise, or, or you're not, I don't know, you're not looking for a script. But I think that the message, in my opinion, is somehow law is somehow in that, that one verse that says, I mean, he says, we, I'm called to the preaching. The mm-hmm. preaching is the mystery. I mean, the preaching of the word of God to do that. The, here's the mystery. The mystery that's been hidden from the ages is he's in you. He is mm-hmm. the, your hope. He is your glory. Yeah. And I think somehow that's the gospel message that we've gotten screwed up and wrong. Yeah. So we're not saying that that's there really isn't good. a conversion. We're not saying that there isn't a moving from one thing to another. Right. It's how to articulate that. Yeah, and I, I think that that is definitely a place to start. You're, you know, in spite of the fact you're alienated and hostile in your mind, mm-hmm. he is in you. He is revealing the Father. He loves you. And, That's and so not this God, and not this unknown God. If you ask just right in the right exact way, he's coming to our heart. If you confess just right, but he's in you and it's done and it's finished. And, and so you look to him and I mean, repentance is looking into him. So step into him. He's already stepped into you. Now it's our turn to step into him. And in that stepping in together, somehow we merge and that there's a gospel of relationship that's beyond, that, that brings, that brings somebody straight into intimacy instead of having to go through all the steps to get to Sunday intimacy. Yeah. But it's an immediate intimacy of he's in you, now coming to him. Yeah. And here we go. Let's do it. Yeah. I like that. One other little thought. Uh, the the, the two pronged thing that goes on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul says, God is in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. Then the very next verse says, Therefore, as ambassadors to God, we beg you, be reconciled to God. So, That'll, that's going to deserve some more work too. What is what is the the methodology? What is the the concept that I, as a person who God has already reconciled to Himself, but I don't know that. What is what am, what am I being called to do for my part in that reconciliation? So we'll work on that. Thanks, Jim. Super practical. I was hiking and asking God, how do I explain to other Christians that have known me what's different now to, for me? And he told me three things. Gil, G-I-L. God is good. That's the G. And if they want explanation further on that, I'll tell them. What, I mean, really good, like all the time. Really? And I, it means something to me now. Uh, I is he's in me, and I mean literally in me, and at the same time he L loves me, and that's all real now, and it wasn't before. And so if I don't know if I'm meeting somebody and I feel like I need to talk about something and I can't tell what God's working on with them specifically, I'll go back to that. And if nothing else, we can all ask God, what is it that's different in me now? Help me understand that so I can explain that to others. And I bet you the thing is that in when God's in somebody else, which I believe he is, mm-hmm. the thing I'm talking about is going to resonate with them, and they're going to start wanting to interact with that. They're going to want to know, well, how would you do this? Or they'll ask me questions and things. And when you get them asking, then you've got a dialogue rather than just me saying it. Mm-hmm. So that's my short version yes. for Richard. Need to go to Burning Man. 
I have an actual question. Okay. Uh, my first encounter, oh, well, I had a lot of encounters, but my major encounter with Jesus, or I thought was Jesus, because that's who I referenced, was this overwhelming love that came over me. That was my first, that was my journey, big journey of walking in Christ, but I got off track by a performance thing. And that performance thing led me to, um, being pissed off at God. Mm -hmm. So for 15 years, I did my own thing. Mm -hmm. One of the big things we've been talking about over the last few weeks and months is the love of the Father. Mm -hmm. After 15 years, and I came back, and God flooded me with his love, I knew it was him, and that changed my life, my thinking, and how I how I saw him, how I saw myself, and it brought me on a whole new journey. The thing that I have a the thing that's a problem now with 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 going forward is that there's a lot of believers that think they they know that Jesus or God loves them because the Bible tells them so, but they've never experienced it. I always learned that God loved me, but on the backside it was Jesus shielding shielding me from God's wrath. Right. How do we bring people into that experience of the Father's love so they know that they know that they know that God loves them? Because that is what changed my life and changed totally my journey. That's my uh, what is it? My hobby horse because. For the tw last 25 years, I've been pushing grace, and I think every church I've ever gone to says, we're a grace church. But then there's, <laughs> we're grace plus, you know, or grace minus and so forth. And there's that, we believe Jesus did the work, but then it's kind of like, yeah, we're saved by grace, God loves us. You're a Christian? Okay, now get your butt in gear and start working so that you can make sure you keep God happy. You know, and unfortunately, that is every religion on earth teaches that. Almost a large majority of our churches teach that. There's just, it is so ingrained in humanity of works, human based relationships or human type of relationships of how we treat one another. It's just absolutely ingrained. And there are certain things where um, you have a watershed of, do you really believe that God loves you? I remember there's a guy named Bob George who wrote a book on this. And one of the things he talked about in grace was he talked to his son and said, you know, I love you, right? And the son's like, sure. Yeah, you love me. And this is where I think we have the same problem with God. God has to love us, right? Nah, he's God. He has to love us. But then he, the son said, yeah, but I don't think you accept me. And he realized there's a, there's a gulf there of what is love versus acceptance and even what's called even liking you, right? Because a lot of people go, does God love you? Oh, yeah, God loves you unconditionally. Does he like you? No. <laughs> In fact, he thinks you're a loser. You know, that's what a, a lot of religion is going to do to us, right? Is God views us so poorly. And there's just such, 
It's like an entire industry of pushing that lie that God is it's it's self inconsistent. You know, God loves us, but he's ticked off at us. Jesus died to take away our sins, but we still got to get right with God. You know, we have all these inconsistencies and it's like can we sit down for a second? This is where I say we need to understand the truth and then take it to the reality. And I think a lot of it is um we don't take the basic truth. I'll, I'll give you the example with grace. This is my um, this is my controversial thing for the day. My watershed for do you actually believe that you are forgiven is if you read First John one nine, is that the Christian's bar of soap to keep getting cleaned up, or is that a salvation verse saying we are forgiven if we confess that we are sinful? If, you know, then he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Almost all denominations will say we have to keep getting forgiven and keep getting cleaned up. Did Jesus die for your sins and take them away or not? That chapter, if you read the context, is it's referring to people who are Greek Gnostics who believe they had no sin because of, if you have to understand Gnosticism, the spirit is good and the material is bad and Therefore, what they said is, well, we're spirit beings, therefore we're actually good and we have no sin. And, and the point of that chapter is, well, then you don't need Jesus. <laughs> if you don't believe you are have sin, then you don't receive Jesus. And, you know, people will fight on that one. And it's one of those, did Jesus forgive you and take away all your sins or not? And I almost every church will give you both sides on that answer. Yes, he forgave you. Now, did you sin? You need to go get forgiven. Yes or no? Are you forgiven? <laughs> that scripture, that passage in First John, Daddy showed me something about that passage once, and he showed it to me in a nanosecond, and I almost fainted. If you read First John backwards, <laughs> You start with the last verse, I think it's verse 10, and you read the even verses, 10, 8, 6, and you're going to see something. Then you read the odd verses in reverse, 9, 7, and 5, and you're going to see something startlingly different. And he explained that, and I'm not going to even tell you what it is, because I want you to go home and do it. But read the path. First John... Hmm? We have homework? Yes, you have homework. I know I'm a bad teacher. Um, read the even passages backwards, 10, 8, and 6, and then hmm. 7, 9, and 5. And daddy's going to just blow your computer. <laughs> now, about that uh, question about re relaying, relating your life, what daddy has done in your life. I work with guys at the Springs Rescue Mission, and one of the awesome. most effective ways to work with them is to share your life with them, share the struggles that you've had and the triumphs and the successes that you've had because of Daddy, and to walk them through, like when I first moved to Woodland Park, I was walking home from, I was walking up and down from Cristola to Woodland Park to get a job, putting in applications. And I'd been doing that for about 25 days. And I was getting kind of tired of walking up and back. 
And so I'm walking home and I'm yelling at God. And I'm telling him, you got me here, blah, 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 this. I can't get a job. And I'm just, I'm not happy. And I'm actually verbalizing this to God. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, now I think about, you know, the news. Black man walking down Highway 24 yelling at God. News details at 11. They must have thought I was crazy, but I was serious because I was upset with daddy. He got me here and nothing was happening. So I get all the way down to 4th Street and daddy says, why are you crying out to me? Just like that. Why are you crying out to me? And I got it. I realized he had given me everything I needed to do what I wanted to do. Two days later, I got a job, worked with that company for 14 years. Within the year, I published my first book. He put, he showed me in a, in a sentence that he had given me everything. And so I take that and I share it with guys, the power of, the power that daddy has in our lives. When we're honest with him, cause I was ticked off. I was tired of walking to Woodland Park every day. Moses was ticked off at daddy. Ezekiel was ticked off at daddy. Jeremiah was ticked off at daddy. We get afraid to tell daddy how we feel. Daddy can handle that. (laughs) He can handle it. One thought that I had is if we, there's two things. We really need to believe that, that God does love. Oh, and, I, of course. I, and I'm th- and I'm thinking uh, of the story of the prodigal son, because that legalism that Dan was talking about is so evident in that story. Our that person's response or our response to our lives is to, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not this. I'm not that. What the father did is is hugged him. And I know that sounds like it's a squishy answer, but if we can trust in the father's desire to, to have in their, have an encounter in their life the same way he had the encounter in your life. That's the point. It's getting them to the encounter. It's because you can give them all the scripture you want. I had all the scripture I needed. It's, it was the encounter encounter. that made the difference. And everybody that I've come across that truly knows God as their father, not Mm -hmm. Jesus was the first, but God as their father who could call them daddy they had an experience, a, um, a, a either a, a physical experience or a revelation of, I truly understand now. Yeah. That's the part of that bridge, getting them over that bridge of that shame and guilt and they're no good. And, you know, because, yeah, I know God, but that, but in the back there, they're saying, no good, I'm no good, I got shame, I got all this crap coming down on me, I'm nothing. I, I'm not successful. I, I'm not worthy. That's all behind them. That baggage. Well, that was stripped away from me yeah. when he came down on me. And it changed everything. And I just would like to put my arms around some people and just, God, just show them what you did to me so that they can see how much you love them. That's that thing that I yearn for to to be able to bring about to, in people's lives of because when you know the father loves you yeah. Yeah. everything changes mm-hmm. everything <coughs> yeah. let's see if we can get a question from zoom 
Anything? Anybody got anything they want to ask up on Zoom? But what's some of the things you would suggest we do to get that amazing relationship we have with Papa? I have a mirror by my bedroom door. Every time I go out, just about every time I walk out of my room, I look at that mirror and I, I'm almost laughing because it reminds me what daddy did for me. And so I get reminded of how much he loves me every, and this, that mirror is this big. <laughs> and that's from a time when I didn't have a mirror in the house except in the bathroom. <clears throat> so having that mirror there, that's, that's one of the practical things I do to remind me how much daddy loves me. I get to look at that person and I start laughing and I am so full of joy and thanking daddy. One of the things that um, I like to do is I like to accept myself. <laughs> and what I mean by that is um, when I walked in um, a place of um, what I like, I don't like to call it, but it, it was dualism, that there was a good Vicky and there was a bad Vicky. And the bad Vicky was the one that God constantly was rejecting. And the good Vicky had to perform all the time. And, um, and then you add on top of that being a pastor's wife and, um, a middle child and all kinds of things. You, you begin to walk out a two person pronged person, right? Um, and so for me, the thing that brought me, um, into a place of, of acceptance of who I was and who I am created to be was stop believing that there's a good Vicky and a bad Vicky. There's just created Vicky. And what that looks like and what that feels like for me is um, overall, I would say 90% of the time, I totally accept myself as who I am. And I don't take rejection from people and I don't take, um, you know, I, I'm able to receive their love towards me. Um, the other 10%, that's between me and God. And when it comes up, I feel like he is walking me through that dynamic of being able to, to say, wow, what's going on? You know, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm out of touch with you and, and all like that. So for me, it, it's a place of acceptance and it's, it's believing what Jesus says, what Jesus does when he's relating to the people in the gospels. And if you, if you really look at that, like my, my big thing, if you know me, is, is Jesus has all the answers. And he has them because he lived them. And so I am constantly looking at Jesus for those answers. And I'm constantly looking at him to be able to say, oh, that's how I should react. Or, oh, wow, I, I reacted that way, right? And so I think it's, it's, believing what Jesus did, what Jesus accomplished. And honestly, if you, if you do that, I, I think the Holy Spirit gets all fluttery inside of you and goes, Oh, she's got it. She's got it. We're going to have a good time, you know? And so that's, that's one of the things that I like to do. Yeah. I think sometimes you just need to, obviously we can't script the falling of the Holy Spirit on people. And, uh, 
I think we have to give them information to some degree, challenge what what is it that's the wedge that's keeping people away? Because I think, again, there's such a dominance in all of society to give a bad image of who God is and an inconsistent view of God. And sometimes we may have to figure out what are the couple of questions or things or conversations we need to have, like, is God good or not? If not, why not? Um, you know, a lot of people get the, well, I have to do stuff and perform for God. My question is, what are you going to do that's going to impress God and is going to get you close to him? What what can you, as a human, do that God's like, wow, I'm really impressed <laughs> that you could do that. Okay, now I like you. And, you know, all we can do is say, yeah, it's come into agreement with him. You know, um, part of my journey was actually having to write that book. Because if you write a book, well, you don't have to, but it works better this way. I had to actually sit there and look at every word I wrote and go, do I believe this? Is this self-consistent? Is this something God would actually want me to say? And there's a couple of questions where you have to start work because it was going to be a bigger book with a lot more stuff. And there's a point where it's like, I got to discard most of my theology, not because it's wrong, but I need to condense down to what do I really need to tell somebody about God? You know what? It's not eschatology. It's not a lot of prophecy stuff. It's not a lot of uh, history of Israel. All those things are great and wonderful, and I'm all into all, all sorts of things. But if I'm going to spend time with somebody, what do I really need to be able to say about God? What matters? And I have to be able to say, what is the core central truth that is transformative? What really matters that I'm going to communicate to somebody. And it comes down to this presence of God, the relationship, the reality, the security of that relationship. You know, if if I can't fix the relationship, I also can't break the relationship, really. I, I'm stuck in this relationship with God. And I might as well enjoy it. Um, Good question. So it's a comment, and then I have a question. The comment is, and I think it's a German guy like Bonhoeffer or somebody. <laughs> I don't know who it is. But the expression is, preach the gospel in season and out of season, and when necessary, use words. Yeah. So that's something I've tried to model my life after. So in other words, the way I treat people yeah. is the gospel. So, to me, if you don't know what to say, love them. Find a way to impress the crap out of them by loving them. <laughs> so, the question, Vicky. Yes. Jesus is returning, but not in regards to sin. What does that mean? What's he returning for? What's he going to do? Um, well, not having... Well, I think he's going to return for his bride. I think he's going to return to proclaim his victory. I think he's going to return to establish um, his kingdom reign. I think he's going to return to let everybody know, hey, everything I said is real and true and um, is uh, available. Um, so that's what I think off the top of my head when I just kind of 
let myself go as you know most of you know i'm i'm more well anyway i'm not scholarly let's put it that way um and so that's what i think he's coming back for and i think he comes back uh gloriously and 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 dynamically and and it fascinates me because my moment with god like richard had was you know, in the seventies when everybody thought Jesus was coming back and all my friends were saved. I hadn't quote unquote said the prayer yet, but I was there and everything just disappeared and it got super, super dark in the skies. And all of a sudden this bright light came and, and I'm going to cry. God spoke to me unsaved, you know, unaware. And he spoke to me and he said, there will be a day. And and I just went, oh, my gosh, you know. And my friends were all disappointed, and people were, you know, just attacking the prophets, and, you know, people had ridden up debt and everything. I know all of that. But for <coughs> me, when that, when that was said last week, that whole dynamic of God coming back in that way and in that glory just freaked me out in a really good way. <laughs> And so that's why I think, you know, that's, that's what I believe. I believe he's coming back victorious. I believe he's coming back as a bridegroom for his bride. That's what I think. I don't have any, you know, anything to back that up with, but I'm, I'm just, okay with it. Yeah. Just asking <laughs> what you guys think. Yeah. Two words, eating, meeting. Daddy's coming back for an eating, meeting. <laughs> When the 70 elders went up with Moses and Aaron and they had an eating meeting. Mm -hmm. When Yeshua was the last supper mm -hmm. and John's resting against his chest, mm -hmm. that's an eating meeting. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a banquet when he comes back. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that eating meeting. I think it's even if you, you don't even need to, it doesn't matter what your eschatology is. I think the point of that verse, whether you're pre-trib, any-trib, all-millennial, whatever, the point is, is Jesus says, I'm, you know, when he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. He did a work and that's, he dealt with sin. And whatever your opinion on when and how he's coming back, he isn't coming back to deal with sin. Yeah. Again. Right. Right. It's, did you guys have a question? <laughs> yeah. I feel as if this is a stupid question. It's probably not. There's no stupid questions. Anyway, <laughs> me personally, I've had some pretty horrific things happen to me by Christians, right? Mm -hmm. Like, not mm -hmm. just like, but people who claim to be Christians that have done really like horrible, horrible things to me. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Christians, but like, why do such horrible things happen if there's supposed to be somebody out there like protecting you? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just like, yeah, if there is a God, like, why yeah. isn't he helping me? Okay. <laughs> there's a really good book on that, <laughs> but it's a very complex question. There's a, that question is called theodicy, which is if God's good, why does bad stuff happen? And a lot of the difficulty of that, this is the intellectual, a lot of the problem with that comes from really post-Calvinist ideas that God is sovereign in the sense that he's completely controlling of everything. 
Okay, so if you believe God is completely controlling of every last detail, then we have a problem with God being good. Is God good, right? <laughs> yeah. And so what happens is, unfortunately, some people have defined the sovereignty of God as being a micro-controlling manager of everything that happens on earth. What is a more common, and actually it's pretty much every culture on earth believes this um, up till the 1500s, is um, there is disorder and rebellion in the heavens. There are evil things fighting against God, and God has called us to be his representatives, to do his work. He has delegated things to us, and there is a battle over that. And part of this horrible battle is some people are getting hurt in the process. And, you know, it's a difficult, it's a very difficult question, right? Because there's really nasty stuff happens in the world, really, really bad stuff. Um, but there is evil things happening because they're in rebellion to God. And part of what our participation in the universe is, is we get to represent God and be on his side to start to bring that about. Unfortunately, a lot of the church is not doing a good job of that. Um, and I think that's a tragedy, right? Because God has given us the very power of the Holy Spirit. He's indwelt us. You know, Christ is with us. We're walking with the Father. We should be triumphant doing these great things. And the tragedy is when the church does not represent Jesus Christ in that manner or the Father, then we see these horrible things. Then we see people rejecting God because I've seen, you know, you've seen the terrible things happen that why would God let this happen? And the reality is, as God has said, part of it, and this is, this is such a huge question, all right? I can't answer it in two minutes. You know, there, it takes a lot of time. There's, if you ever want a big book, it's called, what is the name of that book? Uh, it's by Boyd. Um, God at War. God at War by Boyd. He goes through all sorts of historical stuff on this big, long book. Um, but we've been called to be part of the solution. And God has said, what it, part of, and this is when you go look at why did God create us? One of the reasons he created us is because he said, I want to mature you, grow you. And as part of that is he says, I want you to be developed. I want you to grow as human beings. I want you to walk in my authority. Um, I want you to be part of the solution, essentially. And unfortunately, I think, again, just like the love message <laughs> that people don't see the Father, they don't see their part of that. And so as a result, we've allowed the world to become a place where really bad things happen. And the church has not always done its best at um, solving that problem. Does that help? I mean, it's one of those questions, there is no happy answer, right? There's no happy answer of, oh, it's great, and it's just bad things happen. You know, it's okay. one of those, it's the universe is a difficult place where we have some things to play, and unfortunately, as a result of the rebellion that's out there, um, some really bad stuff is going to happen. Now, I think there's a hope where we can say, but in Christ, we can start prevailing in that. We can start saying that the wounds that I've had, I'm going to try to help keep other people from having, and I'm going to bring the healing that Christ has brought me to other people. So 
How many of you in here have had something really, really bad happen to you? Can you look around and see? I don't think there's a single hand that's not raised. Um, Can I ask a corollary question? How many have been wounded by your church? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Okay. Okay. So... And, and the reason I think that that takes place is because um, we are not properly walking in our identity. And I'm talking about the church now. And so because we don't properly walk in our identity and we don't mm-hmm. understand love and we don't understand how God relates to us, a lot of times we will walk in our own woundedness and to feel better about ourselves, we'll wound you or we'll wound you, Right. And so we do these kinds of things out of a a lack of believing that we have purpose and that we are loved. And if you can let people off the hook for hurting you, you will, you will find that God will begin to show you things that are taking place, uh, in their lives and in your lives. He never lets an opportunity to go to waste. Our character is built on a lot of things. Um, it's built on the way that we um, are in relationship to family. It's built on the way that we're in relationship with friends. And it's built on the way we're in relationship with what we call evil people or wicked people or sinful people. And, and so when we, when we walk into those things with our, with our heart open to hear what the Spirit is saying, I believe that God takes those opportunities and he begins to give us revelation about who we are and who they are, not to judge them, but just to simply understand them. And as we mature in Christ, as we mature in our spiritual walk, we find ourselves able to see things in other people without judging them. And that is a a dynamic that takes place in the Trinity that comes to us in such a a unique way that we can actually um, be given more and more responsibility or grace or whatever from from Father to be able to walk out our life in a way. Um, So hurts are going to come. It's not just going to be the church, and it's not just going to be the world. Hurts are going to come. And really, you know, Lots of bad things happen. And because I don't ascribe to God micromanaging my life, um, and what I mean by that is is what, um, sorry, I just lost your name. Dan, Dan I was going to call you Dave, and I knew that was Dave. That's my brother. Um, but but when, we, when we just walk out life, what, what Dan said is, is absolutely true. These things take place because we're not, we're not walking in a way where God can show us. But God, God isn't micromanaging our lives. In other words, your, your desire to get up and, let's say, walk out the door right now, that's not, a, that's not God saying that to you. You know what I'm saying? You picking out your outfit today, you deciding to eat macaroni and cheese. God's not micromanaging your life that way. He's coming in to bring character. He's coming in to bring you into a greater spiritual awareness. He's coming in to Mm -hmm. transform you. And so when we believe that God is micromanaging everything, then we can say, you know, well, 
you know, God caused that man to molest that child or God caused that woman to, you know, whatever. And that isn't God. And, but when we say that God is sovereign in control of everything and we walk out like that, then, I mean, I've actually heard a guy say, yeah, you know, God caused that child to be molested. Or God gave your kid cancer. Or, or your, yeah, or God gave your kid yeah. cancer or <laughs> this, that, or the other thing. And so I, I think it's a step into, I, this is what I believe, and I'm, I'm going to sort of be prophesying over you now, okay? I believe it's a step into your maturity. That one, you could ask the question. And two, that you're willing to, to, to not judge the church. But take it down a level and look at those people and let God begin to speak to you about what he is accomplishing in you. And then then watch the maturity come. Watch the dynamic grow in you. Because the very fact that you're thinking about this this question and this dynamic in the in the church and through people and stuff, God wants to take you, I don't know, I guess the world would say up up a level you know and and so part of that is you getting with god and asking him about these hurts asking him about these this sadness that's there because he'll tell you right because you have the holy spirit in you and he's your teacher and he's your counselor and he brings wisdom and he's good, he'll do that for you you're not a little christian you know you're a christian yeah. you're a believer you walk in faith and and so I think that's just a dynamic that that is going to take place for you, and you just need to say, okay, God, I don't understand, but Holy Spirit, you live in me, and so teach me. Yeah, I want to echo that because I feel like we can tie both of your questions together, you and Richard, or at least take those ideas, the the passion and heart that Richard has, which is that's an important question to ask. And it's a question I'm probably never going to get a satisfactory answer for. But I can choose to be in a place where I'm a victim or I can step into that identity in Christ and start saying, God, as you said, I want to enter into the intimacy of what you are now accomplishing within, within me to bring victory to me and make me victorious so that this is, doesn't mark me. Yeah, is it part of your experience? Absolutely. But it doesn't mark you and give you an identity that that's who you are. Okay. Because God wants to bring you to place and say, no, you're a person who has victory and you have true intimacy and true relationship with the living God. And so he wants to bring you to that point of that intimacy. And there are things he will reveal to you in that relationship about the things that have happened, um, both in terms maybe why or even just viewpoints on what he wants you to see about those situation. And that's probably the better answer to get. But, you know, the real thing is we either get stuck in the past or we take that and allow God to bring us into a future and a hope, which is what he wants to accomplish in that. And that's never saying, I mean, I don't want it to sound like anybody saying, you know, your past and your abuses don't matter or they're, you know, not significant because they're very significant, but they are not defining of who you are. I think the fact that you came up and asked that question shows a lot of strength and courage. Mm -hmm. And you, this is not your first time here. 
you've been here, you've been coming here pretty consistent. It's her first time. Oh, it is? That's her yeah. first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, fantastic. Wait a minute, go. <laughs> um, I think that shows a lot, it shows that you have a lot of courage. To, your first mm -hmm. time here, you're asking a very delicate, a very personal question. And you're opening yourself up, you know, revealing yourself. And I, that's, to me, that's significant of daddy's presence in you. Because despite the stuff that you've gone through, that stuff makes people hide. Mm -hmm. They don't want to reveal this, that kind of, you know, those episodes in their life. But you came up and you asked it and you're getting these answers. You're getting fed that your spirit, you're getting fed. You're going, you're going to be a, you're going to grow because of this. But again, I think it's because, you know, daddy is in you, gave you the courage to come up here and ask that question and then listen to the answers. There's a scripture that comes to mind that uh, Jesus says, hold on a second. This is for you, Sydney. Jesus in the scripture says, um, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. And that means crap. It's going to happen to you. <laughs> That's the contemporary translation. Yeah. But then he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And when I read that, it was like, okay, I understand that bad things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you've overcome the world. That's good for you. What about me? And then my recent understanding of God is God's in me. Mm -hmm. So that means somehow he's going to partner with me to overcome it. Mm -hmm. What that is, how it looks mm -hmm. is different, I think, for every single person because everything, every tribulation has happened to different people is different. Yeah. So God is very personal in how he'll personalize it. So there's a way that I'm starting to learn how to let God work it out with me. Yeah, you're not alone. From the inside. It's me and him Ever. working it out. <laughs> and it may not be the most comforting thing right now, but at some point it, it could be. And when you're going over those past situations, ask Daddy, mm -hmm. where were you? Where were you, Daddy? And let him show you. Now, this scripture has pondered me. I ponder over quite often, every once in a while, and I'd just like to get your opinion on it and what you think and how it affects you. This is from John fourteen twelve. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Go ahead, Dave. Every time I go to Manitou Springs, I'm tempted to try to walk on water, walk across that lake. <laughs> because I expect that of Daddy. He tells me that I'm going to do greater works than he has done. And I've, I've been in situations where people have been healed. Daddy's shown me the future. I've there A lot of miraculous things have happened in my life, but... I want it to be more consistent. So, and that's one of the things I'm learning here at this church. How do we get to that point of consistency? What is missing in David's life that 
inhibits him from being consistent in and 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 maybe it's you talk about motivation maybe maybe it's a lack of love on my part maybe i'm not maybe my motivation for laying hands on this person isn't because i love them so and that's what i'm learning here is to get closer to what is missing in my life to make me walk more consistently in that passage you just read. Because like I said, I expect daddy to do that in me. I expect him to do that through me. I take one thing as a challenge out of that where I think Jesus says the greater things you'll do. I think it's so that we don't use the lame excuse of, well, Jesus could do that, but not, (laughs) but he was Jesus. And I think he's trying to say, Sky's the limit. Sky's the limit. So don't try to say, well, that was Jesus and he could do that. He's saying, yeah, you can do that. We're not. Go. So miraculous things. Um, I, I think sometimes we overlook what the miraculous things are that we've done you know, that we've prayed for and we've seen come to play, uh, come into play. And um, I think uh, part of our our um, lackadaisicalness maybe is that we do not rehearse before the Lord the things that he's done in us and through us. And Larry and I were talking maybe a week and a half ago, and I just started reciting all the miracles in our lives that we've seen, that we've prayed for, that we 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 did. You know, um, and, you know, we can say, well, Jesus did it through you, however we want to express that. But, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking about things like food, enough food mm-hmm. for a, an event that we ran out of food and we just kept serving, right? It was the weirdest thing, um, to lots of different things. But, but I think part of it is, is that we don't rehearse that. And so we think, that we're not doing the miraculous. And so if we're willing to rehearse those things in our minds, I think it it comes easier to us to be able to pray, you know, to believe, to be full of hope and faith. And um and so, you know, what is that going to look like for us? I I don't really know, but um you know, I I think we have to continue to to press in, and um, you know, uh, here we've prayed two times to raise the dead. They weren't raised, but let me tell you, there's a lot of people who've never prayed for somebody to be resurrected, and so you have to draw a line where you want to go, and you have to decide that you're going there, and and if you're going there, then then ask the Lord, you know, Lord, I want to do the miraculous. I want to walk in greater power. I want to walk in greater faith and then, and then see it and start listening and, and do it. Um, in our Tuesday Bible study, we have prayed for Meg. How many babies have we prayed for? Four or five miracles, miracles in these babies' lives. And so, you know, 
our group has a real high expectation when somebody brings in something about children <laughs> because we've, we've seen the miraculous in that, in that dynamic over the last um, year and two months or whatever. So, um, so I think it's a rehearsal of that. You know, I think we have to say what, what we've done miraculously. Um, and and allow ourselves to feel good about it, you know, like not walk in false humility, but like actually to go, oh my gosh, that just happened, and it happened because I listened and 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 walked in it, you know. And then I think we just get filled up, and yeah. and it kind of like Bill Johnson says, it just overflows <clears throat> out of us. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't have any way of knowing how to you know, do point one, point two, point three, yeah. but that's just something that Larry and I were talking about a week and a half ago. Just, wow, we had a lot of miraculous things happen in our mm -hmm. lives. And the recitation of that actually was kind of fun. And um, maybe that's, that would be a spark to, to have that scripture come alive in us again. So. I think maybe there's a challenge in there too. Like um, Curry Blake, mm -hmm who was a, not a disciple, but he followed, it took the minute, whatever you would say it, yeah. of John G. Lake. John G. Lake, yep. One of the things that he said was, there's two ways you can look at it. John G. Lake healed like 100,000 people. And so Curry Blake said, well, we can take one of two things. You can either say, wow, he's the best guy ever. I hope someday I could do that. Or you can say, well, we know 100,000 is possible. Why don't we go for more? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you could either say, is this my ceiling or is this the floor? Mm -hmm. And I think maybe there's an aspect in there where Jesus is saying, you know, this can be your floor. It's not, I'm not the ceiling necessarily. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. Well, it's probably time we wrap up. Thank you guys. I would appreciate it if you guys would give these guys uh, some love. <laughs> yeah. And then I've got a question for you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I would like to do this occasionally. We did it this time because Laurel needs some time off and, and uh, with the holidays coming and everything, it just seemed like a good thing to do. And I, I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, raise your hand if you would like to be a panel member sometime. Cool. cool. Awesome. Awesome. I was, I was looking at the... Holly, was that your hand? Okay, just checking. I see that hand I, It was sort of like yeah. this. Like, oh, I think so. <coughs> I was looking at that passage of Scripture in Ephesians. Uh, no, in in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, I, first, I, don't know. I don't know where I was looking at it. Anyway, it was in the Bible someplace. And, uh, you know, it talked about uh, him who has a psalm, him, spiritual psalm, mm -hmm. uh, all my prophecy, all this kind of stuff. I, I do feel like there's room for this for us to grow in this, the ability to, to see what it is that God's doing in our life. Because I, I mean, I know these three people, because I, I know them, I know that God's doing amazing things, but I know that he's doing amazing things in your life too. And I, I think that last question was really interesting because we, when God works through you, it's, it usually feels like the easiest thing that happened. The things that feel hard are the things you want to happen, but don't. Right. And, and when he works through you, I think it, it, it's easy to minimize their impact. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, I really appreciate what you guys did. Mm. I think it's fun. Thank you, Zoomers, for staying with us. And uh, Al, for your question. I'm just going to pray, and then i got an announcement to make. So, Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the wisdom that you spoke through through uh, Vicki and Dan and Dave. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for the wisdom and the courage that you spoke through the questions. Uh, thank you for the stirring that both of those halves of tonight did in my heart. And I, I just invite you to open me to the things that you have stirred up because of this. And Father, from the very first question, how do we share you? Literally, not just share about you. But what, what do we say? What do we do? Give us wisdom in that. Down to the latter questions. Help us to understand, Lord, that you have big, big, big destinies for the people of this earth. And that the freedom in those destinies, uh, sometimes we use them wrongly. We hurt one another. But you're not giving up on us. And help us to believe that you are able and willing to work through us to fulfill what Jesus said. The greater works than I did. So I thank you for that. 